Welcome into the 225th episode of the Young Terps podcast from the Viner Fourgate studio. This is your host, Mason Viner, joined by the non-rev man himself, Todd Carton. Todd, it's been a while here on the pod. We got a lot to get to. It has been, and we do have a lot to get to. This is this is the season of my glory, Mason, you know, my favorite time of year. It sure is. Everything's in full swing. Todd, where do we want to get started? Uh, let's let's start with uh, I just kind of follow the same order we used to we've been have been and start with wrestling. Um, you know, since we've been our, our last podcast since number 224, wrestling has now wrapped up their dual meet season, uh, finally broke their 63 match dual match losing streak in Big Ten play by edging Purdue, who was. I think also only had one or was winless in the big 10, but you know, you, you get, you get a, what you, you take, what you can get uh, back on the 10th of February, Maryland got, got, got over that hurdle. And then they split their last two kind of a, a weak win over a not very good Binghamton team. And then they went to Columbia and uh, lost a close one, 18, 16. Yes. Yeah, so the turf suffered that loss. Um, up in NYC to Columbia. Todd, where are they heading for the uh, Big Ten Championships? Uh, Big Ten Championships will be the 4th and 5th of March, and they'll be headed to Ann Arbor. And then you'll look to see after that which individual wrestlers will have gained berths in the Big Ten. I mean, one thing you have to say, not only did Maryland break their uh, seven-year losing streak in the Big Ten, in Big Ten dual meets, but they also won... Uh, 10 dual meets this year for the first time in about a decade. So, I mean, the, the program surely looks like it's it's headed in the right direction under uh, Coach Alex Clemson. Yeah, so we'll follow up on the Big Ten Championship and uh, which Terps make it to the NCA here on the podcast. Over uh, to the mats, Todd, how are the Jim Terps doing? Hey, the Jim Terps are, are on a roll, Mason. Um, they since again since we last talked they've had three matches uh picked up a pair of wins one at rutgers one at home over a not very good southern connecticut team and they lost a close meet to uh number 18 minnesota uh but maryland has been very consistent putting up uh scores of slightly above 196.5 uh which has landed them in 21st place in the first set of national qualifying score rankings that have come out. Uh, Big 10 has nine of the Big 10 teams are in the top 36 and would be in the tournament. Uh, so, uh, and Maryland's right up in kind of in the middle of the pack there for Big 10. Um, kudos to a couple of individual gymnasts who won um, uh Conference of the Week honors or shared them. Emma Silberman was co-gymnast of the week and Maddie Komorowski was uh, co-freshman of the week. And Todd, the Terps uh, taking the trip over to Lincoln and uh, they'll see quite a bit of teams in that top 36 over the next couple of days. Yeah, uh, you know, they, the Big Ten uh, every year has what they call the Big Five meet, which they split the league into two group pods of five teams each, which used to be a really good preparation for the NCAA tournament because you go six teams in the NCAA, it used to go six teams in the NCAA tournament, so you'd have to sit out a couple of rotations, so it changes the rhythm of a normal meet. Um, so the Terps will, will be uh, paired with Michigan, Iowa, Illinois uh, and Penn State. So um, 
you know, that, that will be a good matchup for them because, you know, you got everybody in that top 36, Michigan at number three, Iowa at 20, uh, Illinois at 23 and Penn state at 31. Yes. So the Terps, uh, getting a chance to take on some of the best in the big 10, Todd, you know, you, you mentioned that wins and loss don't really matter a exceeding amount in gymnastics. Do you want to explain the formula for the national qualifying score? Oh, sure, Mason. What you do is you can take the a team's uh, six highest meet scores, but at least three of those have to come from road meets because teams do tend to score higher at home. Uh, you drop the highest score, average the remaining five, and there you go. So as I've said before, it's a very objective formula in a very sub subjective sport, but those scores are, are what determine your, your placement in the NCAA and where Maryland is and has been consistently will keep them probably in the high teens to mid twenties. If they don't improve their scores, they need to start ticking up over 197 if they want to have a chance to move up in the rankings. Yeah. Terps currently sit at 21st uh, in the nation, 36 uh, qualify for the NCAA tournament. Uh, over on the tennis courts, Todd, the Terps uh, women's tennis team is on a roll with some matches. Yeah, uh, you know, they, they, they've they only lost one match all season. That was earlier, uh, early in the season at North Carolina, who's the number one team in the country. And um, they have, uh, they've now won six straights. They beat Utah, Dartmouth, Liberty, North Texas, William & Mary, and Towson, and beat them all handily. And uh, that actually has led to a new breakthrough for Coach Katie Doherty and her tennis squad. They're ranked 33rd in the Intercollegiate Tennis Association ITA rankings. It's the first time Maryland has cracked that ranking in um, uh, my, my notes, I think, uh, since 2017. Yeah. yeah, so six years. And and. The impressive thing is that they're jumping in at 33 and ITA ranks 75 teams. So, so for Maryland to not even have been in the top 75 for the last five or six seasons, and then to jump in at 33 shows, uh, again, a lot of progress. Yeah, and the Terps are hitting the road coming up uh, off until March 4th and then seven straight road matches for the Terps on the tennis courts, which starts off in uh, sunny Florida against the 45th ranked FIU Golden Panthers. That's correct. Uh, over to the baseball diamond, Todd. Baseball. Well, uh, baseball has had a, a little bit of a rocky start, I think, for the number 13 ranked team in the country. Uh, they did hold on to the their 13 ranking after the their opening weekend. They traveled to Tampa. They played South Florida. Um, they lost the, the season opener eight to seven, then bounced back and won the next two. So taking the series and being on the road helped them hold on to that ranking. But then they came back in the middle of the week and dropped a game to West Virginia uh, eight to six. Uh, I think that Rob was a little disappointed. In, Coach Rob Vaughn was a little disappointed in, in some of the Terps uh, performances in that game, particularly his midweek pitching. Uh, but the Terps had a phenomenal event occurrence in the South Florida series in that they hit a grand slam home run in each of the three games. Yeah, the Terps bats are certainly going, but it uh, looks like uh, we may sit, face some pitching issues throughout the season. At least that's the early tell, but baseball is a long season. 
That's correct. And, and of course, now they, they travel to Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, we're recording this Friday morning. Uh, so Maryland will actually play that first game tonight or this late this afternoon. Uh, they're, they're playing fourth ranked Ole Miss. So certainly you want to come away with at least one of the three wins if they want to hold on to that ranking and be able to come back and, and come back to uh, with a three and three, re no worse than a three and three record. Yeah, you definitely do not want to come away from this series looking at, at yourself way under 500 early on. Um, all those games can be seen on ESPN Plus uh, through the SEC network on ESPN Plus. So, Todd, fun fact, we made it through, what, four or five sports now with no BTN Plus mentions. Yeah, pretty amazing, Mason, huh? Uh, I, I guess there's some time lags there with some of these sports, but th this is really interesting. I'm glad, I'm glad BTN Plus isn't paying us anything yeah well that, that's one thing they certainly aren't they're taking money from the fans but not not giving it back to the podcast on those schools uh over to softball who's had a had a fairly solid start to the season yeah phenomenal actually mason they they went down to mexico and puerto vallarta they had a five game little tournament there uh they won four of the five with the one loss being to an okay team called california baptist they're a kind of a solid sort of mid-major type team, but they beat uh, a number 22 ranked Oregon to start the season. And also in that tournament, they beat the number three ranked team, Oklahoma State Cowgirls. I think they do call them the Cowgirls um, and came out of that, that weekend four and one. The amazing thing about the Oklahoma State team is that's a, a for real team. They, they were number three this year, they finished third in the country last year. They, they're traditionally a powerful program. So that's a really big win for Maryland. They came back. They went on the road in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, swept two games from Virginia. The, the, the games were played in North Carolina, and the Terps beat the host school, North Carolina, twice. Uh, now, uh, honestly, right now, I don't think Virginia – or North Carolina would be projected to be top-level ACC teams, but it's still four straight road, effectively road or neutral field wins. And um, Maryland, you know, is also ranked in softball. Pretty amazing. Uh, again, first ranking in uh, about 15 years for the first time they've been in the polls, and they started at 23 after their first weekend, and it bumped up to number 21 in the country. And the Terps uh, taking on another – another tournament uh, down in Baylor or down in Waco at Baylor at, at Baker at, at Baylor. Yeah. It's, it's a kind of a strange thing. Maryland is going to uh, start with Baylor. They play Baylor and Texas A&M commerce. So not the full Aggies. Uh, and then they'll play Minnesota in what will I think be considered a non-conference game. And then it's it's actually set up with a, like a real tournament with winners and losers brackets. The Terps will play five games over the weekend, but their later uh, opponents are to be determined based on who wins what. And Todd, uh, working our way down the list now, uh, over to the lacrosse field, over to CQ Stadium, where both teams are playing this year. Uh, let's start off with women's lacrosse. Yeah, women's lacrosse, they, they're sitting at two and one. Um, I think they, they've struggled a little bit, surprisingly. They, they opened the season with a really easy win over St. Joe's, 15 to five. Looked pretty good doing it. Then they went up to play in the Dome at Syracuse, and they just got their clocks cleaned. Their defense looked 
porous, which was shocking, although uh, Marge Donovan, who uh, injured an ankle uh, in the first game, didn't play. But the defense looked, looked a little porous. The goalkeeper isn't uh, quite living up to her preseason hype. She was the preseason national goalie of the year, uh, Maddie Sterling. And um, they got they got just their clocks cleaned by Syracuse, frankly. They lost 20 to 11. Bounced back with a win over Drexel in the middle of the week, uh, 15 to 9. But from my viewpoint, watching that, uh, watching as much of that game as I could on this stream from uh, the CAA or whoever uh, was sponsoring that that stream that kept breaking up and switching games and this and that. Uh, the thing that, that troubled me is that Maryland burst out of the gates. They ran out to a seven to one lead at the end of the first quarter. And then Drexel played them even for the rest of the game. Uh, and, and my feeling is that if you have final four and national championship aspirations, Drexel shouldn't be able to play even with you for 45 minutes. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. And it's not getting easier for the Terps. Uh, you know, Kathy Reese always uh, schedules it tough. Todd Terps uh, will head down to Gainesville to play against number seven ranked Florida Gators. And then we'll uh, continue on back up the coast to the 13th ranked JMU squad on Wednesday. Right. And it'll be so it's a long time before they get back to old CQ Stadium where Kathy has another tough opponent scheduled in a, a team in Denver, her her first coaching job. And Denver is a borderline kind of top 10 team right now, too. So Kathy is going to challenge this team early on. And it it's it's I think it's a great thing that that coaches do that. And, I, and we'll point, point it out a little bit when we get down to women's basketball, too. Yeah, another team uh, that falls into that same bucket, the men's lacrosse team for the Terps. Uh, a little bit of an up and down start to the season. Yeah, I, I think kind of me almost mirrored what uh, what's, what happened to the women's team. The Terps cruised at home in their home opener, first game of the season, the home opener against Richmond. Uh, just beat them 15-4, to four, looked utterly dominant in that game. And then they traveled to Loyola, a team that they just eviscerated last year and that appears to be maybe a little better than their preseason ranking. And uh, again, they, they then dropped... Uh, a 12 to seven game. And the most dismaying news for Maryland fans coming out of that game is that the Terps have lost goalie Logan McNaney for the season who tore his ACL uh, while Maryland was employing a 10 man ride late in that game. Yeah, that is a really tough loss for the Terps. Uh, wishing Logan the best. Somebody that's been on this podcast and is just a great lacrosse player. And is going to be a big loss uh, for the lacrosse team going forward. But that's why you pick up the grad transfer like the Terps did in Teddy Dolan, and they rolled over Syracuse. Yeah, a game that that probably was never really as close as the final score indicated. I think Maryland controlled that. The Maryland won 15 to 12. Um, but Maryland controlled that game pretty much. Every time Syracuse looked like they might get on a run, Maryland had an answer, and, and they were never really challenged. It sort of, in some ways, reminded me of maybe some of the games from, uh, there weren't very many get close games last year, but games where Maryland just was never challenged and was in control from, from the start. Uh, you know, how about kudos to Dante Trader Jr., who scored his first two goals as a Terp, uh, one of which was just a highlight real type play where he he went down onto the ground and had guys hacking away at him, picked up actually a slashing foul, 
maintained control of the ball, got up and said, uh, you want to slash me? Let me show you. And just fired a bullet into the back of the net. And he was uh, named uh, uh, Big Ten's uh, defensive player of the week for, um, for that effort. And the Terps did pick up that win. So they'll be at Princeton uh, Saturday afternoon and the game will stream. We'll mention ESPN plus again. Yeah, Terps, uh, one other accolade. Daniel Kelly uh, picks up Offensive Player of the Week with four goals and a pair of assists uh, in the game as well. So the Terps uh, sweep, uh, or they didn't get the Specialist of the Week, but they get both Offensive and Defensive Player of the Week on the lacrosse field. And Todd, you mentioned a tough one coming up at, at Princeton on Saturday. Yeah, uh, it's uh, Princeton's always going to be a challenge. They're always among the top teams in the Ivy League and in the country. And wrapping it up with women's basketball, the Terps are on a roll, winning six straight. Yeah, uh, they've won six straight. Um, you know, they 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 had, excuse me, they, they uh, cruised to kind of easy wins over Northwestern and Illinois. They played a rough game at Michigan State. Uh, they came a week after that uh, kind of senseless shooting up there. I, I, neither team played particularly well, but Maryland came out with the win of that. And then Maryland came home and got a, a, a bit of revenge for among the their worst losses of the season. They had gone out to Iowa, lost 96 to 82 to the Hawkeyes with uh, Caitlin Clark and Monica Zanano uh, combining for 70 of Iowa's 96 points. And Maryland just not all, just completely shut both of those players down, uh, just rolled to a, they were up by 30 points at one point in the, in the game. Uh, Terps winning that game 96 to 68. You know, people I think will look at Maryland's 96 points and think of it as an offensive explosion, but honestly, Mason, it was Maryland's defense that controlled that game. Iowa came in as the number one scoring team in the country at 88 plus points a game. They held them 20 points below that. They triggered 24 turnovers that led to a lot of easy Terps baskets. And the Terps were on fire from uh, behind the arc with great contributions off the bench from uh, Lavender Briggs and Brene Alexander. Yeah, I mean, it was almost the opposite shooting night of the one that they had out in Iowa City where it was just they could not make a shot, and that that really got them in that game. And and Todd, you talked about the complementary basketball that they played, and then the contributions off the bench. Really, the two or three things that we've said throughout the season: if they can get good contributions from their bench players, if they can shoot the three a little bit better, and if they can play their identity basketball, which is playing defense, this team can do damage. And look, they're picking up a lot of eyes right now as they land a top six seed uh, in the I don't even know what to call it the preview bracket release of the top 16 seeds yeah they call it the reveal the they usually do two the the uh, ncaa seeding committee usually does two each season um and uh, this was the second one maryland jumped up from number nine to number six on the last one so the the terps will play at ohio state uh later today and trust me ohio state's going to be looking for uh, a similar sort of revenge because maryland just Tore, tore them apart uh, it, when when Ohio State came to College Park. So I think Taylor Mike Sell and company, J.C. Sheldon, will be looking to, to give the Terps a little bit of a taste of their own medicine. 
you know, wouldn't be a terrible loss for Maryland, but uh, a win and a deep run in the end, in the Big Ten tournament might even eke the Terps into that last number one seed. It's, uh, you know, start now that they're at number six, depending on who they play, who they beat. I mean, they'll have to play Iowa again, most likely uh, in the Big Ten tournament, because the Terps will probably go in as the two with Iowa as the three. Iowa plays Indiana in their final regular season game uh, Sunday. But I mentioned before about tough scheduling. I think that that the attention that Maryland's getting with the streak that they've been on shows the advantage of tough scheduling. Remember, Maryland has already played South Carolina, Notre Dame on the road, and uh, Connecticut among the top, all, all three of them among the top 10 teams in the country with Connecticut just fell out of the top four this week. They're, I think, fell to number five. Um, so, so, you know, Brenda challenged this team early. You identify the flaws. And the, the, if you lose a game, one or two of those games, it will negate like Maryland's not terrible loss, but lopsided loss to Nebraska early in the season. And now it's, you know, you can negate that loss by playing well in those other games and, and, and really upping your game late in the season as the Terps have done and look like they're going to go in as a, a no worse as, than a number two seed. Yeah, it is one of those things that, you know, you credit it to the schedule and you credit it to the late season run, just how much ground you can almost gain back. I mean, this team was never really out of it because they played such a tough schedule, but at times it, it, it hasn't looked the best. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, again, you're, you're, you're talking about the uh, Maryland lost, uh, five of their top six scorers off of last year's team, either to graduation or transfer. And it's a, had to coalesce a, an, basically an entirely new team uh, around Diamond Miller and, and uh, Cheyenne Sellers. So uh, lot, a lot of new moving pieces. And, and I think one of the best coaching jobs by Brenda Fries um, since, since she's been in the 20 plus years that she's now been at Maryland. And as Todd mentioned, the Terps are back at it. Their final regular season game uh, tonight at Ohio State. And then uh, on to the Big Ten tournament in Minneapolis, which gets going Wednesday. But the Terps have locked in the double bye and will not be on the court uh, until Friday. That's correct, Mason. And then uh, it'll be the NCAA tournament. We'll all be sitting on selection Sunday to see where the Terps, Terps land. I, you know, you got to be impressed with the Big Ten with – Indiana being in the last reveal, being a, the number two or three team overall, and uh, Maryland at six, Iowa at nine, and Ohio State at like 13. That's a pretty impressive uh, stretch for the Big Ten. To have top, if I'm not mistaken, Michigan was 16, correct? Uh, possible. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I didn't really, I didn't look, I didn't notice. Yeah, well, the Big Ten certainly a great year for them, uh, for the conference in women's basketball, and we'll keep you posted on where the Terps land uh, in the Big Ten tournament as we head towards Selection Sunday. Speaking of a team that will hear their name called on Selection Sunday, almost a lock at this point, Todd, the Terps uh, men's basketball team. Yeah, you know, Mason, I, I am just so impressed with the effort that this team has put forth and the coaching job that. Uh, Kevin Willard and his his staff 
have, have managed to, again, to cobble together a team that, you know, there's a lot of experience and some really good players. Jameer Young has been a, an absolute revelation, frankly, uh, coming from uh, Charlotte to, to compete at the, at the level that he has. And Maryland's locked in already to 10 wins uh, in the Big Ten with Northwestern, who's going to be coming off a very tough loss last night at uh, Illinois, coming into College Park on Sunday before the Terps finish up with a couple on the road. But if Maryland can win one or two of these games, they have a chance also of getting a, into that top four of the Big Ten and picking up a double bye in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, after getting some help last night with two I believe Indiana lost last night, and you just mentioned it, Northwestern falls to Illinois. The Terps can find their way by the end of the weekend uh, in the number two seed in the entire conference. I mean, to think about, we're already sitting here, three games left with 10 wins in conference. Uh, we'll talk about, you know, the loss against Nebraska and the win over Minnesota, and we'll talk a little bit about the Purdue game coming up just in just a minute. Um, I just didn't. I mean, think about where we were after that loss to, at Rutgers to where this team is now. It is absolutely miraculous. Absolutely miraculous. And I I, I was at the Minnesota game a couple of nights ago, Mason. And, and after the game, I asked a few people, friends of mine, and I said, look, if someone had told you that going into before the season, that going into the last three games of the year, Maryland was going to lock up 10, was already going to have 10 wins, would you have said, oh, I'll take that? I mean, I know they've had some frustrating losses, but wouldn't you have said, oh, yeah, given what this team, the expectations preseason and what this team looked like they were going to be facing, um, kudos to, again, the coaching staff and and maybe to Grant Billmeyer or whoever, who has turned Julian Reese into an absolute force on the inside. Uh, but but really, Mason, would you have said, yeah, I'll be happy if the Terps are 10 and 7 going into the last three? 100%. And I found myself being more optimistic than most with this team, but 10 and 7 at this point in the year is way ahead of schedule. I mean, we're talking years ahead of, of the rebuild that I think most, if not some, of, of our listeners and of Maryland fans thought we were going to have to have. The team is 15 and 1 at home, really has struggled on the road. But when you look up and down the conference, there's two teams with a winning record on the road. So uh, to say the Terps are in the top four, maybe, I mean, power rankings, if you look across the board, have them five or six. I, I more lean towards this team being somewhere in that, you know, between the fourth best and seventh best team in this conference. But look, they've won the games that have mattered, especially on their home court, and are going to have a chance to, if they can find a way to win one or two games on the road out of that Ohio State and Penn State game, will really be in a position to do something this season. Well, absolutely. Particularly if if they can pull out the win Sunday against Northwestern and be the only team in the league for all the the problems teams have winning on the road in the Big Ten, uh, Maryland could finish as the only team undefe undefeated team in conference play if they win on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, they would be uh, Purdue, and they would be matched in. Well, there's a handful of teams that only have one loss uh, at home, Indiana, Maryland, uh, and Purdue. But the Terps, Indiana, and Purdue both have in-conference losses on their home court. The Terps uh, lost coming against UCLA. Correct, correct. So, you know, that that that's a, that in and of itself is, is a real accomplishment. 
And, uh, you know, I, we were talking before we started recording that most of the uh, bracket projections have Maryland pretty solidly as a six or seven seed right now. And although I don't put a huge amount of stock in, in those guys, they're usually reasonably accurate. And, you know, again, you know, I don't think anybody before the season thought Maryland had much of a chance to, to make the NCAA tournament at all, let alone go in as a possible six or seven seed. Yeah, it is one of those things that you, you look at right now and, and, just the expectations obviously they changed with the start of the season getting all the way up to being ranked number 13 in the country uh your pre pre-season projections fall fly out the window pretty quick in, in most sports and especially this year for this basketball team but overall the body of work again at times it hasn't been great but over the past month or so it has been uh very impressive todd uh let's start going back now winding back the clock to that win over number five purdue um one of the best atmospheres in years uh, in the Xbox. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I probably I, the only one that I have been only game that I've been at in the in the Xbox that had more energy to me was the senior night for Gravis Vasquez when Maryland beat Duke, which was just kind of off the charts. But this this game, the energy was great. The student body was phenomenal. Um, and and let, let me give kudos to uh, Wayne Viner for getting some putting together some great video uh, on on some of the hidden aspects of that game. And people can go on Wayne's YouTube channel to find that. And also his interview with uh, Taylor was it McLaughlin or yes, yeah, Taylor uh, McLaughlin, who, who, who took a pretty famous uh, uh, a pretty viral photograph. Uh, so uh, people might want to look at that, but. Uh, you know, a court storming for Maryland, um, just really, really, really surprising, uh, just a completely dominating win. I mean, you know, it wasn't even a game that was really ever in, in much doubt once Maryland took over on that ridiculous 22 to four or 24 to two or whatever run it was uh, in the second half. Yeah, I mean, a lot to unpack in that, which was one thing I think it, it's possibly and i'm saying this and, and i'm not really one that usually says things like this probably the best this team can play and probably the best 10 minutes of basketball you'll see from them this season um just an absolutely dominating defensive performance from maryland in the second half the terps coaching staff you mentioned with the job they've done with julian reese just the job they've done between patrick a million uh over the past couple weeks and julian reese is absolutely fantastic the game planning uh, for Zach Eady, I thought was off the charts. And then for a while there, Braden Smith, who's one of my favorite players, I think, in college basketball right now, kept Purdue in the game. But I think the book is out there on this Purdue team at this point. Maryland being a big help uh, to a lot of teams, both with their performance at Purdue at Mackey Arena and at Xfinity Center, have, have shown how you're able to speed up the games at times and really hurt this Purdue team. And and then obviously you got to make your share of shots to beat a team with as much talent as Purdue. But the Boilers certainly not looking like the unbeatable team they were uh, earlier in the season. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that although although some coaches will say that by this time of the year, there are, really are no freshmen, that they, 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 these guys have had a lot of experience. 
I think that Maryland did. Ex that's what Maryland exposed with Braden Smith to some degree. You know, is his is the youth of and uh, of that entire Purdue backcourt and uh, turned them over a lot. They they wore them down into and and Smith started the game shooting hot, but uh, shut him down in the second half completely. So uh, you know that's kind of the, going to be I think the book on Purdue. Yeah, it certainly is a team that I am not very high on going into the NCAA tournament, but hey, maybe this will be the year where everybody's counting them out. They'll finally break through uh, and we kind of live up to the hype. I would. Yeah. The interesting thing, one of the other interesting parallels, Mason, is that actually you talk about that 10 minute stretch uh, being, and I agree with you about that, that 10 minute stretch for the men being among the best 10 minute stretches. Certainly you've seen all season. Uh, the women had a similar stretch in their game against Iowa in the second quarter where they, they just, I think it was a 27 to eight quarter uh, held. Iowa's the first time all season that Iowa has failed to reach double digits in a quarter. And it was a similar kind of thing. They sped up the game. They turned them over. They made shots and, and, and just put the game away in that stretch. Yeah. And then, the Terps headed out to Lincoln, Nebraska. They fall 70 to 66 in overtime uh, to the Cornhuskers, uh, a, a game that I don't want to get too far into it, but I attribute to some very, very poor refereeing. Yeah, well, Mason, I, I said this. I don't remember if we if if uh, we got it on the podcast, but when Maryland beat Nebraska in College Park, my immediate reaction was, this game's going to be the repeat in Lincoln is going to be a lot tougher than people think because Maryland got 26 free throws attempt attempts at College Park and they made 24 of them. And I said, neither of those things is going to happen on the road. They're not going to get that number of free throws and they're not going to make 90 percent of them. And neither of those things happened there. There were some some really questionable officiating calls, but that's the pattern. That's why it's so difficult to win on the road in any conference. I think the big 10 is a little bit more exaggerated uh, the home team. And the, and one of the plays that kind of stood out to me as being emblematic of that was in the overtime, uh, Maryland wins the tip. Hakeem Hart makes a drive along the baseline and gets called for a charge. And I looked at that play and I said, in Maryland, that's a block. It's one of those bang, bang plays. The guy was moving his feet just a little bit. In Nebraska, it's a charge. At Maryland, it's a block. And if it's, a, if, if it's called a block, that's a huge difference because instead of a turnover, you get Hakeem Hart going to the free throw line for two free throws to start that overtime. Yeah, only stat, and I won't give too many stats from this game. Todd, you mentioned free throw shooting. Nebraska, 25 attempts, the Terps, 19. Maryland shoots 68% from the line as a team, obviously not where they've been in their wins. Nebraska scores 70 points and beats Maryland with only three made three-pointers. Yeah, I mean, Maryland's three-point defense was great. People, uh, Some people came to me and said, oh, well, Nebraska shot great from three. I said, no, they were three for 16. Maryland, Maryland's defense couldn't ask for much more than that. But in looking at Maryland's free throw percentage, take a look at who shot most of the free throws. It was Julian Reese who shot six for 10. Uh, um, Jameer Young didn't get his first free throw attempt. He was nine for nine in College Park. He got his first free throw attempt with a minute and 43 seconds to go in the game. And then he got two more in the overtime. Hakeem Hart, who was seven for seven, didn't get a free throw attempt at Nebraska. So, 
you know, I mean, 68% with Julian Reese shooting 10 of them is pretty good for Maryland, actually, because Julian's had some real problems uh, at the free throw line. That's the, the one area of his game that, that seems to have regressed from last year and hasn't really made progress this year. But, you know, again, he's so productive in every other aspect, defensively, rebounding, scoring, uh, that his, his jump has been phenomenal. Yes, it has. He put up 16 and 16. Now moving on to Minnesota, where the Terps uh, took an 88 to 70 win over uh, the last place team in the conference, but still an 18 point win. Uh, Reese, another great game, Todd, 21 and 12. Yeah, just another great game. And he, he could have been closer to 30 because I think he missed his first seven free throws. Uh, something like six or seven that he, he missed. And then he made a couple at the end that got the crowd erupting. And I don't, and he said in the press conference that he really didn't like hearing all those cheers. He understood why it happened, but he, he wasn't thrilled about that. But, um, you know, this was a, a tough loss for a tough game for Minnesota. They had made up a game a couple nights earlier, uh, probably came in with slightly tired legs because they had been at Illinois and had to travel immediately to Maryland. Uh, although they did have, uh, I think his name is Garcia, back in the lineup. Yeah. And he's, he's a good player for them. He's a very good player for them. They've been dealing with a lot of injuries. But again, you know, Maryland taking care of business, winning the games at home, winning the games they need to win. And that was a comfortable win, not nearly as close as the, the final 18-point margin. Uh, uh, Willard pretty much emptied the bench and allowed Minnesota to go on an 11-0 run or 11-2 run to end the game. So that 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 game was was never really in question. Yeah, one thing that I'm not not in love with about Willard is the fact when you look at the stat sheet at, at a conference, you know, win over this late in the season, and Ike Corners plays five minutes, Noah Bachelor three, uh, CSW gets three, and and that's as far down the bench as Maryland goes. Um, you know, you would like to see Ravaz or you know some some of the guys near the end of the bench maybe get some minutes, but again, I understand the coaching aspect of it, but. I feel like this is a game where you could actually empty out the entire bench. It could, it could have been Maryland. Maryland was cruising along. He could have worked some guys in to play in rotation with starters so that you could have had say sat Julian Reese with eight or 10 minutes to go and let's see uh, the, let Canada get as we, as I Canada too, as I like to call him, uh, get a couple of minutes with the starter so that would build him up for for next year because you mentioned before you mentioned uh pat emilian and uh a million and and he's going to be a big loss this is a guy who comes off the bench and you just when i see him come off the bench i never have a concern about there being a drop off in in the quality of play he's a guy who plays so much within himself and within the system knows his skills knows his role and, and just never steps out of that. And that's a great thing for, for a bench player, a guy coming off the bench to have, a great quality for a guy coming off the bench to have. Yeah, he has quickly become one of my favorite players on this team, along with Ian Martinez. When those two guys are in the game, just the energy they bring, and, and they're not the best basketball players. They've both taken big steps forward, in my opinion, this season. Um, but just two guys that you really, I think, embody what Maryland basketball was about under, you know, a Gary Williams or a Lefty Drizel, and or just or a Kevin Willard guys that you need. <laughs> yeah, no, no, uh, Maryland basketball looks like they're going to be about that under Kevin Willard. Yeah, I mean, and it's just something that 
I know as a fan base, there's a couple things that I'll point out because we were talking a little bit about game atmosphere earlier. One is it's not like Maryland was awful under Mark Turgeon. I think that that narrative that's out there, and I, I was never a fan of that that staff really at Maryland. You can go back and listen to, uh, I guess at this point, the hundreds of episodes that we had when Mark Turgeon was the coach. But it, it is absolute nonsense to say that this team, you know, wasn't competitive or didn't win any big games under Mark Turgeon. No, did they win all the big opportunities? Absolutely not. But it's not like we were terrible. No, Turgeon, Turgeon had had a very solid w- one loss percentage. And, I, you know, some people are going to say, yeah, he built that up by playing weak non-conference schedules. They only won one conference championship. They always flamed out in the Big Ten tournament. Um, I saw someone pointed out recently somewhere, though, that I, I think in his career, Gary Williams only reached the finals of the ACC tournament twice. Yeah, yeah, Maryland was not a good conference tournament team. So Maryland has never been a great conference tournament team. And of course, there were the flameouts in the uh, in the NCAA tournament. And similarly with Gary Williams, who is rightfully idolized and adored by Maryland fans for bringing Maryland our only national championship in basketball. But, you know, for years and years and years, and you may or may not remember this, Mason, but people always used to say about Gary Williams, Sweet 16 is his cap. They'll never get past the Sweet 16. And that was true for his his entire career, except for the two years that he passed that. Only twice, the year before the national championship when they made a Final Four run and the national championship run, so 2001 and 2002. And those are the only years that Maryland got past the the Sweet 16 under Gary Williams. So taking that into perspective i think your perspective on mark turgeon is is right i think that it was a, a lot of it had to do with style of play a lot of it had to do with uh perceived talent level i think turgeon recruited players who were perceptually of higher talent level that nobody that thought People thought they weren't gelling as a team and and fell apart that way. So the expectations were often higher. Yeah, I agree. There was a lot of, I feel like, star rating chasing recruiting done and not necessarily well-constructed teams. And and all really I am saying is it's not necessarily as game coaching, but the results were not as bad as people act they were, act like they were. I see it all over the place on all the message boards and Facebook groups and all that stuff is, you know, everybody wants to just throw constant shade at Mark Turgeon. But when you, again, when you face it, you look at the results, they weren't terrible. You know, some programs are really, really in a bad spot and us as Maryland fans in our building and all that stuff, we should expect more, but reality is there were a lot of great players that came through that time. And I, and I just don't necessarily love, love the perception of the fan base at it because again results in march are what everybody looks at but let's not pretend we didn't have fun when Melo trimble was on the court or when anthony cowan and jalen smith were playing or when kevin herter was here or bruno fernando i mean the list goes on and on and on just great players and the results i guess never really delivered but i just think the whole era is being kind of thrown out and and it's it's a little bit disappointing just given how great some of the players were yeah, and, and another one of my favorites that, that you didn't mention, Des Wells, uh, another player from the Turgeon era. And and you're right, Mason. You know, look, Turgeon's one loss percentage at Maryland was very comparable to both Gary 
and and lefty. So I, there was also, though, I think there was a personality issue with Turgeon uh, in terms of how he was perceived by the fan base. I think Willard comes across as a very as a more and, and Turgeon is a very nice guy, but Willard comes uh, across as maybe a more fun-loving guy. I don't know. He has a bit of a sarcastic sense of humor. If you watch yep. his press conferences, they're they're always interesting. And and you know, Turgeons became very predictable, and and he just never fit in with the the sort of the Maryland East Coast attitude. He was more that Midwestern, solid, nice kind of a guy, and and I think that also plays into the way people perceived the Turgeon era at Maryland. Yeah, you hit it spot on there. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, Todd, looking at, you mentioned the tournament where the Terps are projected out. We'll do our look ahead here. Only three games uh, left on the regular season slate. Um, as of right now, the Terps sit at 19-9 and nine on the season, 10-7 and seven in the conference, 23rd uh, in the net ranking. Not going to get into all of the, uh, you know, Ken Palm or anything like that. Um, four and eight against the quad one, five and one against the quad two lone loss in the quad two coming, uh, with that road loss to Nebraska, Maryland, perfect against quad three and four teams, uh, three opportunities left this season, this Northwestern game, despite the fact that the cats are, uh, ranked number 21 in the country is actually a quad two game for Maryland, uh, Northwestern's net right now, 39 and then two quad one road opportunities for the Terps uh, against the Ohio State Buckeyes, a team that's been struggling, uh, and on the road against Penn State, a place that the Terps have just not been able to, uh, let's face it, win games in. Where where do you well, see it lining up? Um, well, you know, a lot of resume building opportunities left on the docket. Yeah, uh, Mason, you know, Penn State is a place, you know, you, you said Ohio State's been struggling, and Penn State is a place where Maryland always struggles. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, look, they have Northwestern coming in this weekend. Uh, that will, if Maryland can close it out there, uh, I think that certainly solidifies them as a six or seven seed. I think that, that they can finish one and two. I'd like to see them pick up one more road win just because they have struggled so much on the road. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm not going to make a prediction. I just, I, my, my, well, my gut is leaning toward one and two. I just, you know, Maryland has been so uh, struggled, so has, has fought themselves almost so much on the road. And, and it's, it's a curious thing to me because everybody says defense travels, offense doesn't. But what happens with Maryland is that they tend to fall in on the, in their road games into a pattern where they're forcing shots rather than running their offense. It's rarely been their defense that has let them down on the road. It's actually how they run their offense. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, Ohio State's lost nine straight right now. I saw their game against Purdue last weekend was not pretty. They were able to stick around with it uh, in it for a little bit, but that I kind of feel like is a game that if you're Maryland, you're really going to want to win Penn state. They've won three straight coming into the weekend. They're in a very, very pivotal spot in the conference right now at eight and nine, 17 and 11 overall. They're somewhere between that last four in first four outline right now. If you look around the bracket, that's going to be a must win game for that Penn state team. Uh, they take on Rutgers 
uh, also at home at the Bryce Jordan Center. They'll travel to Northwestern and wrap the season up with Maryland. So Penn State team that's looking to probably capture that one more win uh, within the regular season before the Big Ten tournament. Uh, also, both teams will be fighting for seeding uh, in the league. So that last game feels almost like that pivotal one uh, on the season, Todd. I'm not sure if you have a similar feeling. No, it, it does, Mason. But it becomes less pivotal if Maryland, again, wins Sunday against Northwestern. And if they can win at Ohio State before they go into Penn State, it certainly becomes a less important game for Maryland. Yes. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, the Terps will, at that point, have 12 conference wins. And we already went over the 10 uh, at this point. If you told me they have 12 at the end, I would tell you 100,000% deal <laughs> uh, on that if they come out somehow with 13 and being finishing somewhere second or third in the conference i would tell you you were crazy if you told me that at the beginning of the season so yeah terps um, would be the right word with the chance to really you know turn some heads if they haven't already this year yeah absolutely and and 13 and 7 crazy would be the right word um i you know i i, I right now i don't think even the most cockeyed optimist sees maryland winning all three of these games though well, call me that because I do think they're going to somehow find a way to win all three. All right, Mason, you're yeah. a cockeyed optimist. Yeah, I, I think I've been called that before on this podcast. If uh, <laughs> for, for those of you longtime listeners have heard me say some absolutely crazy things about Maryland. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll let, let's uh, let's get started Sunday. And uh, I think the game is a, it's a noontime game and we'll see if uh, Maryland can uh, keep uh Boo Booey uh, under wraps and uh, control him. I think if they can do that, they they have a, a really good uh, and chase Audige. They have a really good chance of winning. Um, you know the the Terps. Um, uh, uh, Pete Nance, I think, hurt Maryland in the game last year and the year before, and he's gone from Northwestern. So I think it's Maryland's looking. Although Northwestern does have a seven footer, but I don't think that's a challenge for Julian Reese anymore. No, I would agree with you there. I love watching this Northwestern team. They're one of, uh, I think, the more entertaining teams in the conference. They play a quick style, fairly similar to Maryland. And, I mean, the job that Coach Collins has done, not my favorite coach in the league, but the job that he's been able to do at Northwestern over his tenure there is just really, really something when you look at just the lack of really interest. And you can't say investment anymore because they have that new building, but I'll take those two because he's built – he's built a fan base and that's something that 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 program's really been desperate for uh, over their time yeah you know and and this season obviously uh you know ranks right up there probably headed toward a coach of the year um, unless unless some maryland fulfills a cockeyed optimistic prediction and finishes 13 and 7 in which case uh, we might be looking at maryland's coach picking up coach of the year uh, it'll be a that that'll be a razor thin kind of a margin and i think the game sunday will be very close both teams as you said uh, you know they both teams really hang their hat on their defense yeah, and we'll be back here on the podcast, of course, catch the Big Dog postgame show after the game on Sunday with Wayne and Bruce. We'll be back here next week on the pod, probably focusing a little bit more on Big Ten tournament scenarios. We didn't talk too much about that. And, of course, taking a look at the Terps uh, NCA resume for both the women's side and the men's side. Uh, catch that on our next podcast. Todd, anything else? Uh, no, I think we're we're good to roll, Mason.
All right. Well, as always, thanks for listening. Make sure to check out the post-game show after the game, and we'll see you back here on the pod next week.